0: Welcome to
1: the Athlete Insider Podcast, sharing the stories and advice of successful athletes. Okay, I think we're, we're live with uh, Mike Broadwith. Hi there. Um, Mike is a time trial weapon. I think is the, is the phrase. That's X time 12, <laughs> I fine. Um, so yeah, Mike, why don't you tell us a bit about how you got into sport and, um, yeah, how where, you, how where you got, I've come from. Yeah. Um,
0: I did a bit of cross country running at school, which was good because I wasn't very good at football or rugby or anything like that. Um, so it was a relief to find something I was all right at. Um, then when I went to university, I, because I'm quite tall, I got sucked into rowing, which is uh, quite a strange sport. Um, but it was a very interesting time. I met a lot of interesting people. Specifically, I met some quite inspiring coaches that I worked with who taught me a lot about training and about how you can change your body and how you can change what you can achieve. Uh, and I did fairly well in rowing and then when I left university my parents brought me a bike as a graduation gift and I started you know using it and tried racing it I got into track racing at Welland Garden City which I really enjoyed um, but unfortunately I don't have any fast twitch muscles which is a bit of a hindrance in terms of doing that well at uh, track racing but I did find I was reasonably good at time trialling, and I enjoyed it, um, I think, kind of, I've, I've done a maths degree and I'm a maths teacher, I enjoy the kind of numbers behind time trialling, and I enjoy the kind of slightly scientific nature of it, which I think appeals to a lot of people, a lot of British people, certainly. Um, and then as I've got older, I've just started kind of doing longer and longer time trials, found kind of that, that mm-hmm. you know, that deep endurance base is something that I seem to have, I, I don't really know why. But I suppose it's a mixture of identifying what you're naturally good at, and then also what it is that you enjoy doing. Because if you're doing what you enjoy, then you'll be motivated to to keep at it and to prepare for it. So I guess you know that was a kind of that was my route into what I'm doing at the moment, or what I have been doing for the last few years.
1: Cool. And you also did some cycle touring. Am I, am I right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, I um. I really enjoy cycle touring. I used to do it quite a lot with my friends and uh, found it's a good way of getting in touch. I think it's a really good way of seeing a country and exploring a country. Um, and, you know, I, I sometimes say to people that the only reason I race is because I don't have time to go cycle touring. I think it's um, just a great, a great holiday that, it's the holiday where you come back more relaxed, you'll come back fitter, and you'll come back having explored a new part of the world. And actually this summer, just gone, I went cycle touring for the first time with my two sons. um, And we absolutely loved it. It was, you know, a real adventure just in three days. So it's, I I can't recommend cycle touring enough to people. Cool. And
1: when you got into time trialling, was it, did you find that the, You probably didn't jump into super long stuff at the start, but um, how quickly did it? How um, quickly did you find yourself having success?
0: Um, So I kind of I started off like a lot of people do, doing kind of evening ten mile time trials uh, again with the Welling Wheelers um, on a course up near Hartford, and. I did okay at that and I suppose uh, I was always intrigued by what it would be like to do longer distances and I think I did a 50 mile time trial pretty early on and I was lucky enough to hit a pretty good day and, and got a good time but also I was intrigued by how much I had been beaten by other riders and I suppose that's kind of immediately where the scientific interest came in and that I think the nature of a time trialist is that you look at the people that have beaten you and you think, okay, well, what's he doing that I'm not doing? What is it that's making him, you know, 10 minutes faster over 50 miles? And you have to kind of chip away at that and say, well, okay, if I get fitter, it will make this difference. If I get a new bike, it will make this difference. If I change my position, it will make this difference. And you can kind of make measurable incremental gains in terms of your performance, um, I mean, I started time trialling in 2001 and, you know, it's a bit misty and kind of what I did and didn't do. But I certainly did, a, I think, a hundred mile time trial probably within the first couple of years. Um, and again, I think I enjoyed the, the fact that there's more strategy to that. There's more of a narrative to the race. You know, there's very little narrative to a short time trial. It's just a case of everyone turns up, blasts out what they can do and then looks at a list of numbers afterwards. Whereas I think a hundred mile time trial, you can have a lot more idea of how your competitors are doing. You can read the story of the race, and you can react to how your body's feeling and things like that. And I enjoyed all of that. And so then I think 2004, so that's about three years into the sport. I did a 12 12 hour time trial. My dad and I went up on a bit of an adventure to Lancashire, and I did a kind of a somewhat rural. 12 hour time trial that seemed to involve riding through some farmyards and getting splattered in who knows what. I think my dad quite enjoyed supporting. I I remember him saying something like, 12 hours means I can have 12 coffees and 12 cakes. (laughs) Um, And I didn't do particularly well, but I I was kind of hooked on the, again, the kind of fact that it was like a time trial, but there's a lot more to it. There was more planning, there was more preparation, there was more reaction to the various inputs. That you have during the race, and the fact that you're going to have to deal with the eventualities that come your way. Did you do
1: you feel that the longer time trial goes on, the more yes strategy comes into play, but psychology?
0: Yeah, totally. You know, you you can speak to anyone in any sport, and they will always say, yeah, you know, you, know the, you the mind is so much of what's going on, um, and yeah, in a long time trial you naturally have, you're not on the rivet, so you're not just pushing as hard as you can. You're, you're having to be conservative in terms of measuring your effort. And so that means it, you then are able to think about other stuff. You're able to process what's going on. And I think staying focused over a long period of time is, is tricky and mm. takes some practice like any other skill. And I think some people find that easy. Some people find it almost impossible.
1: But do you find that <coughs> if you're being focused on um, being strategic and kind of calculated, do you ever feel like that holds you back because you're too cautious about messing up the strategy as opposed to if you kind of don't overthink it and just push... If you're on a good day, maybe you can... I don't say put a strategy out the window, but you can go faster than you had, you you would have if you had stuck
0: to a more yeah strategic. I approach. think you like anything, you've got to be prepared to think on the fly, and you've got to be able to, you know, you've got to be prepared to say, oh, actually, you know what, I'm absolutely flying, I can go for this. And you, you know, you're right. Sometimes you might be too conservative, or you might overthink things. Um, but equally, races are littered with people who went too hard too early and then got in all kinds of trouble. And so you're, you're really balancing a fine line. And of course, you know, your best performances will be the ones where in the last three hours you felt like you just had these kind of magic legs. It was a no-chain day and off you went, um, which is fantastic. And identifying, that's great. Um, but like, you know, I'll, people often say, you know, what's your tips for time trialling? I will say, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're doing... A kilo on the track or you're doing a 24 hour time trial the, the key things just don't go out too hard and, and don't go out too hard and just <laughs> definitely don't go out too hard because in all time trials of all distances that's that's what will is the most likely thing to to kind of cause you trouble
1: i guess that's partly what's so beautiful about sport and time trialing is that although it's very scientific and methodical there's still an element of Mastering your own body, which can't quite be boiled down into like a, a list strategy type thing. Knowing yourself and understanding when to push on and how hard you can go—that's something that isn't you can't make on a spreadsheet.
0: No, completely. And also, it's not the same for everybody. You know, you you could talk to a bunch of guys who've and girls, sorry, you know, a bunch of people who've all just done a long distance time trial and they will all have different strategies and then if they try and implement what you've been doing they might find it doesn't work at all and you know some of that's born out of how you feel about your body, some of it's born out of experience and some of it's born out of just reacting to what happens on the day Um, but that's kind of what I mean about there being a much deeper narrative to the race, you know I like the fact that you are going to have to overcome these challenges, you are going to have to think about the different things that are going on and you know that your competitors are all doing that. So you, as when you're kind of in the night and you're worrying about how you're feeling, you're equally thinking, wait a second, the other people in this race are having to go through these same challenges. I wonder what's happening to them.
1: Mm-hmm. And do you do anything, apart from physiological training, do you do anything psychological to prepare for a, a long time? No, I...
0: I I guess I don't specifically, but that's quite easy to say. Into Although I am quite focused in terms of what I think about when I'm training in the build-up. I have quite a busy life. I've got four children and I've got jobs, quite a lot going on. And actually the time when I'm training, which is either commuting or, or on the turbo in my garage usually, is almost a kind of time for me to think about stuff. And I would say that I am you know, in the, in the lead up to a big event, uh, you know, when I'm training, I think about it all the time and I run through different scenarios and I run through what it will feel like. Um, you know, as an example, you know, in the build up to 24, I I will have a turbo session that lasts 80 minutes and I will scale that turbo session up to a 24 and I'll have kind of, you know, messages that come up on the screen that will say, you know, you're now eight hours in, you're now 12 hours in just so I can get a handle on the length of the event and what it will feel like. Obviously it's only a miniature version, but you, you're, I, I do think about the event a lot in the run up to it just so I'm, I think it makes me reassured about how important it is to me and then also allows me to process what I've got coming mm-hmm. and how I'm going to deal with that.
1: Sure. Something that I I may, I may be wrong, but when I see your approach to the sport, I see someone who's very... that is You put your family at the center of your life, and also you work full-time, and um, you fit your training in, mostly in commuting and around that. And do you think that your achievements in sport have, become, have come... Because of that or despite of that? In fact that in the fact that because you have such a balanced life, it's almost easier for you to achieve than if you had put more emphasis on cycling.
0: Yeah, it's it's hard because it's so much of sport comes down to how you define success and how you define what you want to get out of it and you know, I don't for a second think I could have made it as a pro cyclist or that I would even have wanted to make it a pro cyclist. You know, I know I've got a fairly good engine, but I've got a pretty unusually shaped body. And as I said before, I'm not a very good sprinter. But it never really crossed my mind because I love maths and I love being a maths teacher. It's what I wanted to do. But then again, I often feel very privileged to not be a professional sports person because that gives me the freedom and flexibility to decide what I want to do with sport and where I want to go and I know a lot of people who are professionals don't have that flexibility kind of told what they need to do um, and it allows me to have time off when I want to have time off or have a season where I don't race you know I didn't race for kind of four or five years in my early 30s because I'd had enough of it and then I only really came back to it in my mid 30s kind of refreshed and looking for a new challenge um, in terms of family it's a no brainer like you know my family does come first and I'm I'm painfully aware of how much me doing stuff has an impact on them. And I want, you know, I've got to drive my children to their own sports now and do stuff. But I think the beauty of cycling and commuting is that it's just a really brilliant fit. You know, commuting to work gives me 10 hours of training every week, every week, that I can depend upon. And also in the build-up to an event, I can quite easily extend that in the morning. You know I, I don't mind getting up early so I can make that 10 hours into 12 hours or 14 hours pretty easily and I think the reality is if you then chuck a few turbo sessions at the weekend on top of that and you get your training hours up to kind of 16 hours and I don't mind doing quite high quality 16 hours that isn't far short of what you need to be in pretty good shape now you are I get quite tired I need to be careful about my commitment to other stuff, but I can just about manage it in the build-up to a race. But then again, I'm only really doing two or three events a year now, which is very different to what I did when I was younger, and I was doing far more time trials that were shorter. So I think the reality is I've kind of adjusted my focus and adjusted my priorities so that I can have a family life and I can do my job and race that's not to say I manage all three, you know, there are, there are definitely weeks when I feel like I'm doing all three really badly, but it's kind of how I manage things.
1: Okay. Um, how do you get started with the, the really long stuff?
0: So kind of, would you like 24 hours? Yeah. And, and that, um, I suppose I came back to the sport in after a break in my mid thirties and then, uh, had a go, I, I rejoined the team Arctic that I'd raced for when I was younger and they were really enthusiastic and we tried to do some team time trials and we did pretty well and then we, I think we had a bit of a disappointment one year and kind of off the back of that I thought well I'm quite a good shape. why don't I try doing a 12 hour again and I went into it not with any real expectation, I entered the national, I ended up getting a bronze medal in the national and that was a bit of an eye opener. I was like oh, wow I can still be competitive or, you know, I still medal at the Nationals. i have never done that before. That was a, a pretty big day. And off the back of that, I then went back and tried to do the National 100 the next year. And I missed the podium by 20 seconds or something. And I was thinking, well, okay, well, I can't really go quick enough to podium in the 100. And if I can't go shorter than the 12-hour, maybe I should try going longer. And... I got in touch with someone who'd ridden the 24-hour before and said, look, I'm interested in doing this. And he was amazing, a guy called Sam Williamson from Hemel Hempstead. And he'd done it before and was really enthusiastic. Kind of gave me the head start that allowed me to hit the ground running. You know, he knew how the event worked. He was able to explain to me the challenges in terms of lighting, the challenges in terms of feeding and stuff like that through the night, which was brilliant. And then he volunteered to be my kind of crew chief for the first time I did it. And I think his enthusiasm was pretty infectious. And so he helped me get together a team of people. Because in a 24-hour, you need a team of people to help you. Um, and that really led to me going up to do the National 24-hour in 2015, which was my first really long-distance race. Um, and I won that. So, yeah, that was that was a pretty good debut. And I realized that I was pretty good at it. And I enjoyed it. And I guess that sowed the seed for future adventures.
1: Yeah, so How do you... Um... Must have been pretty, pretty slow with that result, but how do you find that, um, as a time trial progresses in distance, your recovery after a, a race is affected?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, a 24-hour takes an awful lot out of you, you know, um, as, as you know, I did one this weekend, just gone, and it's, it's been a hard week, I think, you know, it's, I've I've still got to commute to work and I've been commuting to work very slowly this week and I fell asleep in the work cafe on Tuesday when I was supposed to be doing some work and, you know, I think in reality a 24-hour takes four to six weeks to recover from fully. That's not to say you couldn't race in a shorter distance, sorry, shorter time after that, but it does take an awful lot out of you. Um, You have to go pretty deep and the you kind of hit other reserves so what what i found is that often in the days after the event you can start to feel poorly you can lose weight you can end up with kind of blisters on your lip i've got blisters on my lips and things like that just because your immune system takes a bit of a battery so it's a kind of different kind of uh, recovery than you would have from a normal time trial i suppose
1: wow yeah that's that's pretty serious yeah but um when did the... So you had some success at 24 Hours. Yep. And... I kind of want to get on to the... Uh, probably the thing you're most famous for. Yeah. Which is the Land's End, John O'Groats record. Yeah. Um, but when did that... That seed... When was that planted? Was that
0: around that time or before or... Yeah, well I suppose there's two answers to that. It was planted... Uh, 15 years ago. When or longer when the record was set in two thousand and one, which is when I was just getting into cycling. And I had cycled Lands and John of Gropes when I was at university with some friends, over three weeks was a way of staying in touch with mates who'd gone to different unis. And then Gethin Butler set the record in two thousand and one. It was got pretty big write up in cycling and I read about it, I was like, oh great, this is inspiring stuff. But never once thought that would be me or anything like that. I just kind of was pretty interested in the event and then fast forward 15 years when I won the national 24 hour um various people were like oh you know and, and I you know I, I was only three miles off the national record like it was it was a pretty it wasn't I didn't just win it I won it and it was a really good distance and people were like oh you know you should just think about the end to end but I wanted to go back and do the 24 hour again so I went back the next year and won it again and then went back the year after and won it again so three times on the trot and I suppose what I started to think was that if I don't do this if I don't have a go Mm. I might regret it sure and And also
1: I guess off the back of those those three consecutive victories that's Serious, conf- yeah, serious confidence going to something which is a pretty daunting... Thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's it's about having the confidence to think, well, people will take me seriously. I don't want people to just laugh and think, oh, he's a no-hoper having a go at something. You know, Gethin's record is unbelievable. And I think it was so good that it put a lot of people off who might have been tempted because they thought, wait a second, Gethin was top athlete at the time. He had a really good day. It all went right and he just smashed out of the park. And so that then puts the pressure on anyone else trying to step up to the plate to think, well, wait a second, this could go horribly wrong. I could be left looking pretty silly here. But with those national champs under the belt, I kind of thought, well, you know what? I know I've got a team that believes in me, which is the most important thing. And I've got a wife that believes in me and wants to be involved. And I've got a team, like a cycling team that's supportive and, and keen to be involved as well. I basically am in the perfect position. The hardest thing is saying, yes, I'm going to go for it. But that's what we had to do.
1: And um, so you decided you want to have a crack at the record. And how long before you sort of really thought, I'm going to do this? Before Was it before you actually managed to get the
0: attempts underway? So it was probably the, after winning the 2017 24-hour, I had a bit of a break and then probably that autumn sat down with my wife and and we agreed that we were going to go for it and then it was all a case of trying to do the research contact the right people she was going to organize the attempt obviously I had to do some training and start to look into so I had to set up what my training would be but then more importantly help her look into the logistics of actually organizing the thing which is probably the biggest challenge um you know we had to find a crew we had to find equipment we had to work out where we'd stay we need to understand what the rules were we need to make sure that we understood how we would cope with those rules and put everything into place i think the advantage of doing the 24 hour is that your support crew can be fixed in one place and we needed to take our kind of winning formula for the 24 which was fixed in one place and then put that into a kind of moving caravan that would then follow me up the country for two days excuse me (coughs)
1: And how do you find going for a record is different for going for a race? Mm-hmm. When you're in a race, you're trying to put out the best time or distance you can for a, an event. But when you're racing a record, the benchmark's already been set. And although that means you can have a lot more, um, there's a lot more strategy involved. Or it's more f- kind of... Um, your strategy is more defined you have a time to meet and yeah, you, you have you, to you have it. something you
0: have to yeah
1: but right. it's I almost think that's a different kind of mental challenge when you have a benchmark that you you, you can't you can't miss as in opposed it's, to you, in a race when you're different. I kind of want to say you're just doing your best effort you know, when you're going for a record there is only a there is either a, you go there or you don't
0: yeah it's very binary And you're painfully conscious of that. If I'm being honest, I tried to put that out of my mind, I basically had a schedule that I was pretty confident in. And even now, if I try and think about the end-to-end, the overall distance of it and the overall time on the bike is completely overwhelming. I can't really believe it happened. And I think the danger is that when you set out from Land's End, you could very easily feel overwhelmed by what there is to come. And so I really, really just tried to think about managing it hour by hour. So it was a case of what do I need to drink in the next hour? What do I need to eat in the next hour? And where do I need to be up or down against my schedule for the next hour? And I didn't really want to think past that. So once I'd written the schedule out and I knew where I had to be at each checkpoint, I was only ever thinking about the next checkpoint. To be honest, I was only really just thinking about not going too fast. I basically spent the first 24 hours just thinking don't go too fast don't go too fast uh, stay calm I had a lot of time thinking stay calm and a lot of time I've got this phrase in my head like don't don't be overgassing and I was just thinking don't don't start overgassing and every hill it's so easy to just accidentally put out 50 watts too much because you've so you, much adrenaline yeah because you you naturally want to get on with it and you have, you know, some of those climbs near the start, I was rigorously sticking to a power limit and I felt like I was crawling up them. And you have to have the confidence that that's the right thing to do. Um, and, you know, luckily it was. <laughs>
1: but it must have been, I guess, the first uh, 24 hours at least, it must have felt pretty, I don't want to say easy, but you had a uh, focus for the next hour and you broke it down into that. But it didn't all go according to plan.
0: Well, the first 24 hours was was pretty much perfect. It was, we had a tailwind. If I'm being, you know, really critical, we didn't really, have, we didn't have a super good day. We had a good day and we had a tailwind. Um, there have been plenty of quicker days, but we were... They just didn't turn up when we wanted them to turn up. So we took what we had. And it's nice riding with a tailwind and it's nice riding. I felt very lucky to be riding the event. I was absolutely bowled over by the number of people that had come out to the roadside to support and things like that. And stuff like that makes the event go quite quickly because you're kind of enjoying being there. It's always nicer riding with a tailwind than into a headwind. And so I was bowling along pretty happily and I was up on schedule. So the first kind of 24 hours... um, was pretty textbook, really. Um, but then after that, I guess when you go into the unknown, the problem was it it, it just started raining so much, um, and we knew there was a risk of rain, and we set off knowing that. And I'm not averse to rain. You know, I won one of my 24-hour championships in basically pretty much torrential rain for the whole race. I think what I didn't know was how my body would struggle having already ridden 25, 26, 27 hours, to then have to keep going in the rain, um, it took quite a toll on, on I, me.
1: I guess also psychologically, when you're going into realms that you haven't been before, you're riding beyond a time that you have before. If it starts raining, that's kind of just something else on top of the fact that you're doing beyond what you have.
0: Yeah, the, the rain was pretty overwhelming really. Um, and I think what it did was it, I I kept getting cold. I kept having to get changed and it made the scale. I hadn't really been thinking about the scale of what was to come, but then it was in Scotland on that second day when I was thinking, you know what? I'm really cold. I'm really tired. And I've still got 11 hours left to go. And as soon as you start thinking about the numbers, that's when you start thinking, I just don't think I can do this. I felt pretty broken. Um, it, it, it's again like we said earlier it's just so much of it's in your mind you know, I, I basically knew that my legs were okay I, I was riding really well I was riding really strongly but just keeping my head in the game was the hardest thing and that's kind of where having the right crew around you is, is everything You know, having my wife was there and my teammate Tim the two of them were brilliant they said the right things they were quite stern with me when they had to be And they were the people that kind of kept me going through the low patch to then come out the other side and feel more positive again and and be aware that even after having this huge low point, the record is still on the cards.
1: Do you feel like when you finally arrived and you broke the record or you had the realisation in the final few miles that you had broken it or you were going to, you feel like the fact that it hadn't gone so textbook um the fact that it hadn't gone in a perfect kind of mathematical
0: approach that
1: almost made it sweeter
0: i don't know really i think the the reality is you know the longer things the longer races go the less likely there is going to be that nothing went wrong so yeah something did go wrong or are you the weather but we dealt with it. But lots of other things that might have gone wrong didn't go wrong. And so I think you, you should really, in something like that, you just have to take the, what you get. You know, when other people come along in the future and they have a go at it, stuff will go wrong for them. And it's the event as a whole is a measure of how you cope with what's thrown at you by everything. Um, my overwhelming feeling in the last, say, three hours was just trying to appreciate where I was and what I was doing. I suppose I knew once I'd come over the final tough climb, I think I had about two and a half hours left and I knew it was kind of yeah, I knew I had enough of a buffer that even if I punctured or even if I got cramped I'd still be okay. And so then it was a case of just really trying to tap it out for a good time, but also just experience how lucky I was to be there at that moment, riding through that scenery, doing that thing with those people Um, and it was, yeah, pretty emotional but uh, just an incredible place to be, I guess
1: Yeah, and do you think that because it wasn't the perfect day would
0: you be tempted to have another go? I think in the immediate aftermath of the event, I would have said yes Um, but now I know um, I feel very strongly that I've had my moment and it was such a special time with this special group of people that I wouldn't want to try and recreate it. There's plenty of other challenges out there. There's plenty of other things to do in cycling. And one day someone will come along and beat the record. And I'm pretty cool with that. I think, you know, you look at the list of people who've had the record and it's like a who's who of long distance time trialists in history. And I feel very privileged to have joined that list, and I'm very happy in with that position. So, that, you know, I won't be having another go.
1: Also, I may, I may be wrong, but they say that if you do a Tour de France, it's doing the first one is is uh, easier than doing the second one, just because you're so naive when you go into the first one.
0: Yeah, I think the th- I think the thing would be that it would never be as you would never re- recreate that feeling of being on the road for the first time thinking, my goodness, this is me doing this like special thing. And I like I like the specialness of it. And I'm just not sure that I would want to commit the emotional energy and the money and everything to having another go because I would then also think, you know what, when the going gets tough, it would be hard to be as motivated if you knew that you already had the record
1: yeah so there's something special about going in with an element of doubt and going into pushing yourself beyond what you ever have before
0: yeah and the unknown yeah um so like I said I feel and we've got a nice feeling of completeness about the whole thing I don't want to take that away really so I need to look look further afield for new challenges now I suppose We'll, we'll see
1: yeah you've just just uh come you just got a silver medal at the world's 24-hour time trial yep. which i didn't didn't even know was an event which sounds uh, uh but apparently there are really more mad <laughs> mad challenges awaiting yeah it's, it's, um yeah how do you how do you feel about what's what's next for
0: you um i don't honest answer i don't know um it's it's been a it's been quite a tough year just cause busy stuff with family, busy stuff at work. And then I've, I've done two 24 hour races this year, which has taken quite a lot of focus. Um, and I didn't win either of them, which I'm having to get used to now. Um, but two silver medals is a pretty good haul really. And I think, uh, I need to kind of take satisfaction from that. I need to reflect on how this year has gone and then think about what I do in the future. Um, At some point in my life I'd like to have a go at some of these kind of long bikepacking races where you're riding unsupported for a few days, but I suspect that probably won't be next year. I think if anything I can see myself having a year off from cycling and just having a bit of a break. I've done seven long events in five years. so. Whether that's time to kind of just enjoy the cycling, I was quite struck by how much I just enjoyed cycling, cycle touring with my boys this summer. So perhaps a year of of more relaxed cycling, and then recharge the cha- recharge the tanks and recharge the enthusiasm, and then come back maybe for a new project in a couple of years' time. I think that's probably the most likely outcome at the moment.
1: Do you feel like if you were going to speak to something out, someone starting out? cycling or time traveling um, you tell them to relax a bit about being so goal-oriented and just to
0: enjoy the, the sport One thing that Alan uh, Rochford once said to me years ago used to sponsor my cycling team stuck always stuck with me and he just said you should always do what makes you happy because in the end that's all that matters no one else really will care about your results and so you have to be doing any sport so that it has a kind of positive effect on your own mental health without wanting to sound too dramatic and I think you need to be brave enough to admit that even bits of cycling that other people might think are weird or odd or whatever if you enjoy it you should do it and I love I still love track racing and I like going down to the track because lots of people are just doing something they love and they don't really mind whether they win or don't win they just enjoy track racing and they enjoy the social side of it same if you go to a time trial you see people who just love time trial and I like seeing people who keep doing it into their older years into their 40s into their 50s into their 60s these are people who've got a really positive relationship with sport I think my worry looking at it from a school teacher point of view is there's plenty of guys in their 20s who don't necessarily have that positive relationship with sport they're doing it more as a kind of challenge to themselves which I get and I understand I just hope that at some point they can realise that there are other facets to it that mean that they can have a kind of they can just focus on the things that they enjoy if that makes sense
1: Yeah, do you think that's one of the biggest mistakes that Maybe younger, hot-headed athletes make is that they, are I'd also have a negative relationship with the sport, but they're almost trying to prove something to themselves or others.
0: I I think it's the same in a lot of sports that you have lots of kids doing it in their teenage years, but when you're a teenager, you still have dreams that you'll make it to the very top. You know, if you're a kid who's a swimmer, then you want. You know, in your 15 or 16, you're thinking, oh, I want to make the British team, I want to go to the Olympics and stuff like that. And for the vast majority of teenage athletes, you know, the vast, vast majority, at some point, they reach the, that point in the process where they were, you know what, I'm probably not going to go to the Olympics. Or I'm probably not going to ride the Tour de France. And then for lots of people, that's a turn-off then, because it's like, well, what do I do now? Now I've realised I'm not going to be the very best in the world, or the very best in the country, or whatever. I might just go and do something else. Mm. And actually, that's such a shame because all sports, be it football, you know, running, swimming, whatever, have really competitive lower leagues, really competitive events that you can just go along and enjoy. But sometimes people who've been trying to get to the very top are a bit snobby about those. I think, well, I don't want to just ride a sportive or I don't want to just go and do a 10K run or something like that. Whereas actually if you go to sportives or you go to 10k runs and things like that you just see loads of people with big smiles on their face having a really good time and I think what I would say to people really is don't be snobby about other you know cyclists are really bad for being snobby about other types of cycling actually I would like to take a broader approach and think well if I go to an event there's loads of people with big smiles on their face having a good time that's brilliant and that's so much better than them not doing sport so we should try and you know, go for stuff that people enjoy and have a good time. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think it takes. <laughs> Presumably, everyone gets into cycling or sport at the beginning just because they they love it. They love the sport for pure reasons. They're, they enjoy just participating and competing. But it takes. Yeah, it takes some some balls to. Kind of recalibrate after you maybe realise a point that you're unable to achieve what you dared to dream of when you were younger. But just changing what you hope to achieve is not a failure. You're not a failure because you didn't achieve what is humanly possible. But So,
0: so that's where I had a big advantage. I didn't come into cycling until I was about out of uni, so 23 or 24. So I didn't ever dream of... I, I didn't ever have, a, you know, these dreams of being a pro rider. I was just cycling in my 20s because I enjoyed it and it was a challenge and I was still getting better each year. So I think that put me in a very strong position versus people who have been doing it for much longer and then, as you say, perhaps had really big dreams about what they wanted to achieve and then have had to recalibrate, which I think is really tough. Mm.
1: And given your like longevity in the sport, would you say that... that- approach of focusing on bettering yourself as opposed to comparing yourself to others is a
0: sustainable way to approach sport? I don't know the, the, the conversations that you can have about how you define success are really challenging and I think in some ways you know it, it it's so hard on a personal level to to decide you know, even like fight in this year I've come second in the national championships and people come up to me like well done and then they look a bit unsure and they're like are you happy because <laughs> they can't tell whether I'm really pleased or really sad and then that's quite, that's quite informative because then you have to ask yourself well am I really pleased or am I really sad and, and you don't really know one day you'd be feeling differently and, and then you have to kind of sit back and, and think about what it means to you to get that result if you're luckily, I'm a fairly optimistic and happy guy, and I, you know, like things. Oh my goodness! If, if I reach a day where I'm not happy with kind of coming second at a national championships, then that's a sad day indeed, because there are plenty of people who would n- who would dream of that. And so actually, I am happy, but I completely understand there are other people who would be perhaps uber competitive and would have pinned everything on on winning. So I might feel quite sad about that result, but but happiness and sadness in terms of sporting achievement it's pretty hard to put your finger on okay
1: thanks very much i think we're um losing the race to the clock here yeah (laughs) the time time trial but thanks for taking me back to school quite literally yeah no Um, problem at all thank you for
0: coming along it's a pleasure to talk to you okay cheers fantastic